We have been in the midst of a mini-series in our One Word series on the church. And we've been talking about the functions of the church. What, What is it that the church is here to do? What is the purpose of God's family? And two weeks ago, I talked about how the church enjoys fellowship. And last week, Alex talked about how the church engages in worship. And today we're going to talk about how the church, how God's people embodies the kingdom of God. We are part, we are the kingdom of God. We'll be getting into that shortly, but then next week to close out this mini-series before we move on to the next set of words uh, in our one word series, the church also evangelizes by proclaiming Christ. Next week the word is proclaim, and as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, this is a sermon that I've pretty much already have written, and it's a sermon that's very personal to me, uh, and I hope will be very powerful. I'm excited about sharing it with you next week for Proclaim. I, uh, in some reading this week, was reminded again of the bigness, the vastness of space, specifically our solar system. I was reading about the Juno spacecraft that NASA built and sent into space several years ago. Uh, This unmanned spacecraft has spent nearly five years traveling to Jupiter. It's taken this spacecraft five years to get from the surface of Earth to the far reaches of our solar system to the close to the planet Jupiter, the largest in our solar system. And uh, this week, according to reports, This spacecraft will give us our closest look ever at the planet's giant red spot. You know about the big red spot on Jupiter. You remember learning about that in school? Uh, As you probably know, the spot is a ferocious storm. It is 10,000 miles wide. And the spacecraft Juno, supposedly, unless it gets burned up, will be able to tell us the roots of this storm, Uh, It will tell us, it will help us to understand how it developed, how it works. It, I have heard, will give us the best images that we have yet of this giant red spot on the surface of Jupiter. And I was amazed to read that this storm is big enough to fit about two or three Earths. One storm, almost as big as three of our planets, the size of our planet, combined. Isn't that incredible? That's one spot. That's just one spot on one planet in one solar system. And scientists estimate that there may be tens of billions of solar systems in our galaxy, the Milky Way. I mean, it is unfathomable. You can't hardly wrap your mind around the bigness, the vastness of our solar system, our galaxy, our universe. This morning, we're thinking big. We're talking about something that's big. In many senses, it's bigger than the discussion we just had about our solar system, about space. It's a big concept in scriptures. And by that, I mean, it's an idea that is frequently mentioned. The word I told you earlier that we're talking about today is kingdom. It gets over 160 mentions, this word for kingdom, in the New Testament alone. So it's a frequently mentioned idea 
But that's because it points to a very great big reality, and that is the kingdom of God. Now, I want to share some news with you this morning about the kingdom. I hope I'm not going to break any news, especially to our baptized believers. I hope this will just be a refresher for you, a reminder of who you are and where you stand in your relationship with God, if you're a baptized believer. If you're a faithful Christian, then God, and I'm going to use the words here of the Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. This is our text today. If you're a baptized believer, then God has transferred you to the kingdom of His beloved Son. So here's what that means in a nutshell. You, if you have confessed faith and been baptized into Christ, you have been moved into a new kingdom. You have a king, and his name is Jesus, and you are to submit to his rule. You are to live under his kingly reign. Now, that should cause us to stop in our tracks and do some some self-examination. And we should be asking ourselves, if I have moved into the kingdom of God, am I submitting to my king, to Jesus, and to his ways, and to his will in every way? Am I living under his kingly reign in every aspect of my life? Because Paul says that God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of light. Your citizenship, if you're in Christ, has changed. You've got a king. You belong to a new kingdom. It is not one characterized by darkness, but by light. And what Paul is implying here in our text is that sin, It's sin that has produced this kingdom of darkness. And this imagery, it is so helpful. It is so powerful. This kingdom of darkness. Can you imagine with me, in a dark room, confusion reigns. You can't see two inches in front of your face. And Paul says that's what the world is like. The world is lost in darkness. And what you have is people who are stumbling around looking for satisfaction and meaning and fulfillment. Those are the things that win the day. They're looking for just the, the, the next thing that can, that can bring them pleasure and satisfaction, and then they discover that it doesn't, and so they stumble around until they feel their way to the next thing, and that doesn't work either. The world is stuck in a kingdom of darkness, and they can't seem to find their way out of it. But Paul says, if you're a Christian, God has plucked you up from the kingdom of darkness, and he's placed you in a kingdom of light. And it's all because of Jesus. Jesus is the reason that you can move from darkness to light. And now we walk in the light, and we can actually see. We can see that we can have abundant life in Christ. We can discern the difference between right and wrong. We can see what brings us into greater flourishing and what might lead us toward greater destruction. We exist. Our eyes have been opened. We can walk in the light because of Jesus. From darkness to light, to the kingdom of light. That is what Paul says all Christians have been moved to. But I want to rewind a little bit and and I want to zoom out a little bit and talk about this big idea of the kingdom. Because of the scourge of sin, the curse of sin, God has long been interested in establishing a kingdom. Way back in the Old Testament, Israel is God's kingdom. 
We see that in the book of Exodus, the second book of our Bibles, chapter 19, verse 6. God says to this chosen people, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. You shall be a holy nation. So Israel is the kingdom. But in the Old Testament, we get, we get glimpses of how God wants this kingdom to be bigger than just Israel. The Old Testament anticipates that a greater kingdom is yet to come that will expand beyond the borders of the people of Israel. Look with me in 2 Samuel chapter 7. I've got one of the verses up on the screen, but not all, not all the ones I want to read. 2 Samuel 7, starting in verse 12, I want you to listen very carefully to when God makes a covenant with his, his man David, who is to be the second king of his people, handpicked by God himself, by God's prophet Nathan, David, the king, God makes a covenant with him. And he says in verse 12, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, so when your life is over, when you've passed away, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. So my kingdom will continue through your lineage, David, through your bloodline. Verse 13, he shall build a house for my name. Now who are we talking about? Talking about David's son Solomon, who was to build the the temple. So now we're looking ahead. God is giving David and the others a glimpse into the future. He says, your son will build the temple. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. This will be an everlasting kingdom. It will never end. And then verse 14 says, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And it's in this verse, and we begin to take it all together, that we can see from hindsight that what God is talking about here is the kingdom of Jesus Christ. God's covenant with David gives us a glimpse of God's son who was to come through David's bloodline. Jesus the Christ, the son of the living God. And so now as we look back at this, we can see through our Christian lens, through our Jesus glasses, that this is about Jesus. That God is saying, I'm going to extend your reign. I'm going to extend your kingdom all the way to when my son arrives in the person of Jesus Christ. And so fast forward to Jesus' arrival and listen to what Jesus himself says about his kingdom in Matthew chapter 16. So we're taking taking sort of a sweeping view through the scriptures here, through God's plan for his kingdom, and now we're in the Gospels. Now we're at the beginning of the New Testament. Now we are to a turning point in the story of Jesus when Simon Peter, Jesus' apostle, says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The first human to confess the name of Jesus. To say that, yes, I believe Jesus is who he claims to be. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And what does Jesus tell Peter? He says, I tell you, you're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. On what rock? On His confession of faith on the foundation of his faith that Jesus is who he says he is. On this rock, this firm foundation of faith, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And he says, I will give you the keys 
to the kingdom of heaven. And so what we find out here is that because of Jesus, we can say with the psalmist, your kingdom, God, is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. Jesus makes makes it that way. Jesus is the one who makes God's kingdom extend into all eternity. I think of what the angel said to Mary in Luke chapter 1 and verse 33, of his kingdom, what? There will be no end. There will be no end. It will extend forever. Jesus is the rightful heir to the throne of David, and through him, the kingdom of God shall last into all eternity. And Jesus here reveals in Matthew that the church, the church is the fulfillment of the promise of the kingdom. As we confess faith in Christ, we are brought under his his kingly rule and we become part of the kingdom of God. And yet, the New Testament also says that the kingdom has yet to be fully realized. I'm thinking here about, among other places, Matthew chapter 25, when Jesus is teaching and he gives his listeners a glimpse into the future. And he says, there will be those who on the last day, God will say, come, this is verse 34, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So on that day, those are words that you will want to hear from God. And if you abide in His grace and walk in the light of Christ, then you will. Come, you who are blessed by my Father, come and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So the kingdom in its fullness has yet to be, has yet to arrive, has yet to be fulfilled. We're still waiting on it. So it exists in the present, but not fully. It is an already not yet reality. We are awaiting. We are anticipating its final consummation. Yes, we're the church, we're the kingdom in the here and now, but the kingdom has not fully arrived. So it's an already not yet concept. So as you can see, we've started way back in the Old Testament and gone all the way to the time of Jesus and even to our era. And we've seen God's kingdom take shape from Israel to the church to the heavenly kingdom yet to come. And we can see this is a big idea. This is a big, vast reality. And it can become difficult to wrap our arms around it and to really grasp it in an understandable way. And maybe as you think about the vastness of God's kingdom, how God through the years has wanted to establish a kingdom, and and He did so through Israel and the fulfillment of that through Jesus in the church and the heavenly... Maybe you're thinking... As we think about all this, maybe you're thinking, well, where does little old me fit in God's big kingdom? You know, I'm here and I'm sitting in the pew and I just feel small in the light of what we've talked about. As I reflect on God's big kingdom, how could I possibly be significant to God How could I possibly be used by God in an effective way in expanding the borders of His kingdom, in extending His kingly reign on the earth and beyond? How could God use me? 
Well, let me tell you a few things about God's kingdom through the years that I left out as we were going through it earlier. Here are a few more important facts about God's kingdom. Israel, God's kingdom in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 7 says that they were the fewest of all peoples, which means they were the smallest of all the nations. So God did not favor them because they were a a military might, because they were the biggest, strongest, greatest power of their day. He favored them because he'd made a covenant with their forefathers and because he loved them and because in their weakness, his strength could be clearly seen. Israel was not a great nation, but they were in and of themselves by their own power, but because of God, they were made great. They were the smallest of all nations. And yet God says, this is my kingdom. These are my kingdom people. And then we talked about David, the great king of old, King David. But you remember when David was picked, handpicked by God to be king? He was the youngest of all his brothers. He was out tending to the sheep, pretty well forgotten by his father. His father paraded all of his older, stronger, bigger brothers before the prophet Nathan. And Nathan said, no, it's not him. No, it's not him. No, it's not him. Is there anybody else? Is there somebody that I'm missing And his dad, Jesse, said, oh, yeah, 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 there's one more. But he's out. He's tending to the sheep. Well, would you get get him? Bring him on in here. And they did, and he's the one. The youngest. The one who was out watching the sheep. That's King David. God picked the, the youngest, the shepherd boy, David, to be his king. The one through whose bloodline the kingdom would continue all the way to Jesus and beyond? David. And then let's think about Jesus for a minute. Jesus wasn't a political leader. He wasn't a mighty warrior. He barely wandered beyond a very small geographical area in his entire life. He didn't go on big trips. He didn't travel to exotic places. He was just the son of a lowly carpenter from Nazareth. He was the son of God. He was the one who would begin bringing the kingdom to earth. He was the one who promised the kingdom to come. The very son of God, Jesus. An unremarkable, unassuming figure by human standards. But the very flesh, God put on flesh. The very son of God. And then what about his apostles? Never was there ever such a ragtag team of ordinary guys than those apostles. Those 12 from different, very ordinary occupations brought together. They'd never have come together were it not for a common faith in Jesus Christ. And God turned the world upside down through their ministry and through their teaching. And we sit here today as a testament to their success in preaching the gospel. Those 12 ordinary men totally altered the history of the world, transformed it, turned it on its head. We could go on and on. The early church beset by persecution, but as their blood was spilled, more rose up in their place. And then Paul, the greatest missionary and the writer of most of our books in the New Testament, 
He had a thorn in the flesh. He was not a great speaker or a preacher, as we read in the Corinthian letters, a very unassuming figure, and yet God used him to take the gospel to the far reaches of the earth. These are the kinds of people that God uses to extend his reign, to expand the borders of his kingdom. And if God can use them in the service of his kingdom, don't you think for a second that he can't use you. And the way that he can use you in his kingdom is quite simple. Your service to King Jesus begins with allowing him to reign over your life. All of it. Every part of it. And I hinted at this earlier when we talked about our text from Colossians, when Paul says, you've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. You belong to a better kingdom, and Jesus is your king. And are you submitting to his reign? That is the question that each and every one of us need to ask ourselves this morning. Am I submitting to the reign of King Jesus in my actions, in my motivations, in my words, in the way that I spend my time, in the way I interact with my friends and my family members, in the way that I spend my money? Does all of that reflect my submission to my king and my citizenship in his kingdom? I think about that song we sing from time to time, that beautiful worship song, Lord, reign in me. I love the message of that song. Lord, reign in me, reign in your power over all my dreams in my darkest hour, in the good times and in the worst. May you be my king. May I submit to your reign. You are the Lord of all I am, so won't you reign in me again? And then one of the verses says, over every thought, over every word. Now, we've all got a lot of work to do. In that regard, don't we? And I'm talking to myself. Because not every thought and not every word in my life has been submitted to the reign of King Jesus. Has come under his rule. And so that's a constant goal that we must have. And the song says it well, Lord reign in me again. This is something we got to keep singing and keep thinking and praying for. Lord I know I'm living in your kingdom, but I'm not acting like it. And so reign in me again. I resubmit myself to your rule. And I want my life to be organized around your will. I want to follow you with everything that I am. So the question is, have you come under the rule of King Jesus? You can become a citizen of the greatest kingdom there ever was or ever will be this morning. Now, there have been some great kingdoms to rise and fall, and make no mistake, every human kingdom and government has a beginning and has an end, but not God's kingdom. God's kingdom will never end. Earthly kingdoms do. All of them have come and gone. God's kingdom will not. And earlier, we looked at what Jesus says about his church, about his kingdom. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. God's kingdom can stand up to the greatest evil there is and remain victorious. And you can become a citizen of that kingdom today. If you have not confessed the name of Jesus and been baptized 
into Him? Why would you not want to do that? Why would you not want to move from darkness to light? Why would you not want to be a citizen of the greatest kingdom there ever was, a kingdom that has no end, that will extend into all eternity? Boy, wouldn't that be awesome if we had somebody come today and say, I want to be in God's kingdom. I want to be a Christian. I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I want to make him my king. Or maybe you're here today and you're in that kingdom, but boy, it sure doesn't look like it. And you're thinking to yourself, the people who see me in my everyday life, they wouldn't know that I belong to God's kingdom by the way I've been living. That song we sung earlier, I Walk with the King. You may have sung that and you may have been thinking, yikes, my life is not really jiving with the words that I'm singing right now. I walk with the king. I don't feel like I am. Well, this morning you can come and you can recommit to walking hand in hand with the king throughout this life and into eternity. If there's something amiss in your life and you need help from God and the encouragement of your church family, I want you to come as we stand and sing this song together.